This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God.
the Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. have multiplied, O Lord our God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare to you. Let us pray. Please be seated. Eternal God, your Son, Jesus Christ, is now exalted as Lord of all. He pours out his gifts on the church. So grant us that unity which your Spirit gives. Keep us in the bond of peace and bring all creation to worship before your throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord, and because our word of welcome is one extended in the name of the Lord, that means it is a word of welcome with absolutely no qualifying adjectives attached. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here at First Church. We ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad, which should be located on the inside edge of your pew, or the virtual friendship pad, which is located on the same page where you found the worship link to, to log in online, so that we may greet one another at, by name at the conclusion of this service. You can send the pew down and back again, and the person on the inside edge, kindly tear off the page when everyone's had a chance to view it, and place it there, and you will make our ushers' lives so much easier. They will love you forever. Uh, let me highlight, before we highlight the announcements, let me invite you to a time of fellowship, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There, our deacons have prepared light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to engage with one another directly in our common life together. Now let's move to the announcements portion of our bulletin. The first is to highlight an upcoming adult education series. This is a two-week series, and this is lecture-based, and it will take place following this service at 12.30 in the McCall Room. You may simply go to Old Buttonwood, get a cookie and a cup of coffee, and come up and learn a little bit about the history of our denomination, particularly the ways we have split and come back together through the years. This is part of our observation of the fact that we are celebrating our 325th year as a congregation here at First Church, and so we want to understand where we come from, as well as ultimately where we are going. That is the sum of what I'm going to highlight for you, but Andrew Sin has another announcement for you. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. In your bulletin, you will see an insert for the Himathon this coming Saturday. You may ask what a Himathon is. That is, we are going to sing through the hymnal cover to cover, with the exception of the service music in the back 
and about 16 responsorial psalms in the psalm portion of the hymnal, which brings the total number to about 552, I believe. You may also ask if I'm crazy, and the answer, of course, is yes. Um, there are several ways that you can help us out. Um, all of them, of course, are um, financial. Um, some of them are listed for you in that insert. You can sponsor an entire hymn. You can sponsor a piece of organ music listed there. You can ban a hymn for a year. Um, that goes until December 31st of this current year. And the caveat is it has to correspond with a number in the blue hymnal, not just a text and not just a tune, but a number in the hymnal. Um, and also, it does not apply to funerals. So um, there are other ways, of course, that you can give. If you would like to give just a random donation of any amount, those are most certainly welcome. Um, if you'd like to do some math and um, tie it to the coinage in your coin purse, you can do a penny for him, a nickel for him, a dime for him. We really prefer you do a dollar for him. That's a good amount. Um, any amount is helpful. Any amount is gratefully received. It's a lot of fun. You can come and join us and sing along um, either here in the sanctuary starting at 10 o'clock on Saturday, or you can tune in. Um, the live stream will be going all day long. Um, I will warn you now before we get into the thick of it, this is not an event like listening to the Adagietto from Mahler 5. Um, th this is like the Presbyterian 500. It's going to go lickety-split. So gird your loins, and we're going to sing quickly. And I hope to see a lot of you here um, or afterwards online. Um, and thank you so much for your support of this marvelous choir that we have here. And one final note before we move to the Confession of Sin. Those of you who were in worship last week noticed that the second hymn ended with a flourish, that flourish being the ending of the pipe organ's participation in the day. I uh, just want to give you a quick update on that. That particular fix was quite simple and inexpensive. I'm delighted to report that. But we uncovered in the process of that a more costly repair that will need to be completed in, in the next few months or so. Uh, we're not talking hundreds of thousands, we're talking tens of thousands, but did one should make you aware that if it gives out again, we know exactly what's wrong with it and we have a plan to fix it. So with that noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. Our God, who knit us in the womb, knows us completely. God inclines towards us and hears our cry. Be assured of God's grace and steadfast love and join in our confession of sin together. Merciful and gracious God, we confess our sin. Our ways have not been right. Our motives have not been pure. Our hearts have not been grace-filled. The work of discipleship has proved larger than our commitment. We have not fulfilled the holy calling to be your people, showing your grace and mercy to the world. We have not shared as we might. We have judged where we should not. We have not loved as you call us. We have focused on ourselves and our desires and not on the needs of others. Forgive us, we pray. 
and call us once more to a changed life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Hear the good news of the gospel. God will not hold, withhold mercy from us. The steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord is with us now and forever. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first lesson is taken from the prophet Isaiah, 49th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Listen to the word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. When I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. From the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This God says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, Israel's Holy One, to one deeply despised and abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, kings shall see and stand up Princes, they shall prostrate themselves before the Lord because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. He has chosen you. Second letter is the opening paragraphs of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians a chosen one writing to those chosen. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
he will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here ends the lesson. Our final lesson is taken from the first chapter of John's Gospel, beginning at the 29th verse and continuing through the 42nd. <clears throat> Listen for the word of God to us this day. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, <clears throat> I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Chosen One. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and he watched Jesus walk by, and he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. When I was serving a church in Indianapolis, I had a colleague who was a bit more adventurous than I was and would consequently take the scenic route for any drive he undertook. Whereas I would drive straight from Indianapolis to Chicago, Mark would instead meander throughout the countryside, taking it all in. In one of his meandering drives, he and his wife happened on a site that both intrigued and attracted them. They saw in the distance a ramshackle building that was obviously a church, which I suppose is the advantage of living in a flat state. You see things a long way off. Mark was intrigued, so they drove closer. <clears throat> As they approached the building, they saw that the church had one of those signs out front that can be changed around to say different things, and they had used their movable letters to announce the name of the church, and Mark said that's what caught his attention. Outside this run-down little building in the Indiana countryside was a marquee that read, The Church of New Beginnings. And he said, it made me start wondering what a church that offered new beginnings really looked like. But that's exactly what we claim every week, that we can begin again. I know these two fellows who thought they had it all figured out. They had found this preacher you see. He knew just how to combine the right gestures and body language with a stem-winding sermon. He could bring just enough heat to the sermon to convince anyone that it was time to repent. And once you repented, he'd take you right out in the river and dunk you on the spot. He had the charisma to know exactly when to strike fire and he'd nail it every time. He'd work up just a smidge of moral indignation to make you jump in alongside him by pointing out the obvious. He'd call attention to things like the failing of the government or of faith communities to meet the needs of the people. And he could preach so that you felt like he was preaching right at you. And these fellas warmed up to him, and, and they became friends. One day they were standing around shooting the breeze, and out of the blue, their preacher lost his mind. At least that's what it seemed like. Look, here is the Lamb of God. And when he said it, he pointed at this other man, one they'd seen walking around, just like any other guy, and their preacher said again, look, here is this Lamb of God. So these two fellows started following the other preacher. I guess they 
stayed back a little bit at first, but you know, it, it's kind of hard to hide the fact that you're following someone when in fact you are actually following them. So eventually he turned around to them and said, what are you looking for? And, and you know how it is when someone takes you by surprise, you don't really answer the question that's been asked because you're trying to find a way to look like you were not doing what you were obviously doing. It's, it's like when you've been looking at somebody for too long trying to figure out if it's somebody you know and right at exactly that moment when you realize you've never met them in your life, they realize that you've been looking at them. Well, it's like that. So this preacher turns around to these two fellows that have been following and says, what are you looking for? And they answered him, where are you staying? He says back to them, come and see. Well, so far the whole thing looks like a comedy of errors, but now it gets really interesting. These two fellows, Andy and John, followed this preacher back to his motel, and they hung out there until about 4 o'clock. And that's when Andy remembered he was supposed to pick up his brother from work, so he had to get over to the Wawa. And when Andy found his brother Simon, he said, you are not going to believe this guy. John says he's the Lamb of God. I've just spent the afternoon with him, and I think he might be the Messiah. So, Simon decides to give Andy the benefit of a doubt, and they hop in their pickup truck and head back over to the No Star Motel, don't look up the Yelp reviews, and Simon walks in, and Jesus looks at him, looks straight at him, and says, I'm going to call you Rocky. The next day, Jesus invited them all to his cousin's wedding, two counties away. <clears throat> now, does that strike you just a little bit odd? Uh, that strikes me a little bit odd. But that's what the first chapter of John says happened. Through a series of what looked like chance encounters, Simon and Andrew end up following Jesus, only he's not Simon anymore. Jesus has given him a new name. And in the Bible, getting a new name means a new beginning. Something has changed. Now he is Peter, and his world has been changed by his encounter with the Lamb of God. Years ago, <clears throat> a friend of mine was interviewing with a church in New Jersey. It also was a rather unremarkable looking building, but there was one aspect of the sanctuary that he found interesting. In the pew racks where we have pew cards and Bibles and hymnals, he saw that there was a box of Kleenex in every pew. Finally, the committee asked him if he had any questions for them, and he said, uh, yeah, why are there Kleenex in all the pews? They answered, because we believe that people come here expecting to be moved and to be changed. They went on. A few years ago, we were floundering a bit as a congregation. We didn't know what our identity was. So we did what most congregations do. We did a, a great big study of the congregation to find out what were our priorities. And then our facilitator 
told us to do a study of the demographics of the neighborhood where we were located and see where our priorities might line up with the priorities of, of the neighborhood. And what we found was that our priorities didn't line up with the priorities of the neighborhood. They were nothing alike. So we concluded the only way we could revitalize our congregation was to open our doors up wide and invite the whole neighborhood to come in. And we, what we thought would happen would be that we would assimilate all of these people into our congregation. But what we hadn't counted on was that our nearest neighbor is a rehab clinic. So our neighbors are frequently folks in various stages of recovery. And we also, we, we didn't have any members who identified as LGBTQ, but yet we were right in the middle of the neighborhood, and we figured that if we could just get the folks to, to come in, they would eventually learn to think like us. But that's not what happened. Instead, we started thinking like them because we started to see the world through the eyes of someone who was recovering from addiction. And we started seeing the world through the eyes of someone who has been pushed out of their family because they are different. And when we began to see the world differently, the Kleenex were for us. Peter was changed by his encounter with the Lamb of God. What about us? The Bible says a lot about change in our hearts. Ours is a faith based on the conviction that we can change. That what has been does not have to define what will be. We are not static. God expects our faith to engage our living. If we go to church on Sunday morning and confess our sins and leave and go back to our businesses or our schools or our homes and you can't tell any difference between us and everyone around us, then I would argue not much has happened. Maybe we felt good on Sunday morning, a little holy, got our church fixed. But if we don't live any differently than the folk who haven't had their names changed, we might even be wasting our time. And what's worse, perhaps God's time as well. But the claim we make is that we have had our names changed. Just as Simon became Peter, the rock upon which the church would be built, we too are not as we were. Our name has become Christian. You know, before we baptize anyone, we ask a question. We ask either, what is your Christian name, or what is the Christian name of your child? And we ask because we're calling them by name, and saying there is a change. There is a before, 
and an after. And the babies can't tell, but the adults know the difference. And the difference isn't that we are in God's grace now and we weren't before. The difference is now we know that we are in God's grace. Now we are changed by the knowledge of grace. And that change is important. We are a place of new beginnings again and again and again as many as it takes. That change is important. Now, I'm going to hazard a guess that from time to time you don't feel very Christian. I feel confident making that guess because from time to time I don't feel very Christian. And it reminds me of something C.S. Lewis once said, I'm going to paraphrase him, if you don't feel like a Christian, don't worry about that. Just act like one. If you see someone coming and your feelings are not Christian, they're not charitable and kind toward that individual, don't worry about that. Just act as though your feelings are charitable and kind, and keep on acting as though your feelings are charitable and kind. And he concluded, and then one day you will realize your feelings have become charitable and kind. You will come to the point when it is no longer an act. That's true, you know. But there's another side to this promise of a new beginning, and it's this. It's not just what we do. It's what God does. Because God never, ever gives up on any of us. There is nothing that lies outside the scope of God's grace. It's been a few years ago, but I wonder if any of you remember the baptism scene from the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? As Everett, Pete, and Delmar are making their way on their odyssey, Everett and Delmar get baptized in a fit of religious frenzy. And when they come up out of the river, Pete and Delmar declare to Everett that the preacher told them their sins done been washed away. And as naive and simplistic as the movie means for us to see that, it is the truth. Our new beginning is truly a new beginning. And I understand that for 85, 90, maybe 95% of us this morning, that may not strike us as great good news if everything's going swell in our lives. But I suspect there are a few folks who know what it is when there is no fixing what has happened and nothing short of a fresh start can make things right again. Nothing but a new beginning will work. And the good news of the gospel is that we can have exactly that, a new beginning. Fred Craddock tells a story. When I was pastoring in Tennessee, there was a girl about seven years old 
who came to our church regularly to Sunday school, and sometimes her parents would let her stay for the worship service. They didn't come. He went on to say, we had a circular drive at that church. It was built for folks who let their children off and drove on. We didn't want to inconvenience them, so we put in a circular drive. But they were very faithful, mom and dad. And then Craddock goes on to recount the wild parties that this couple were known for hosting in, on Saturday night. Parties full of vulgarity and drinking. The whole town knew about them. The whole town knew they were just about moving up that next step on the social ladder. And then one Sunday morning, Craddock says, I looked out and she was there, and I thought, well, she's with her friends. But no, it's mom and dad. And after the sermon, at the close of the service, as is the custom at my church, came an invitation to discipleship. And Mr. and Mrs. Mom and Dad came down to the front. They confessed faith in Christ. Afterwards, I said, what prompted this? And they said, well, you know about our parties. And I said, yeah, I know about your parties. They said, well, we had one last night. And it got a little loud. It got a little rough. There was too much drinking. And we woke our daughter up. She came downstairs. She was on the third step. And she saw that we were eating and drinking. And she said, oh, can I give the blessing? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Good night. And she went back upstairs. Oh, my land, look at the time. We've got to be going. We've, we've, we've stayed. Within two minutes, the room was empty. Mr. and Mrs. Mom and Dad are picking up crumpled napkins and wasted food and spilled peanuts and half sandwiches and taking empty glasses and tra on trays to the kitchen. And within two trays, he and she meet on either side of the sink, and they look at each other, and he expresses what they're both thinking. Where do we think we're going? the moment of truth. In the moment of truth, there can be a new beginning. And on this Sunday, when we celebrate the legacy of Dr. King and all those who have struggled for civil rights and human dignity, it is important to remember that new beginnings require truth-telling. You can try a new beginning without the truth, but you won't get very far because it's not really a new beginning if we're clinging to what is false. But that's what we're about. A new name, a new beginning. We're here to follow an itinerant preacher who wandered through town and changed the world, but half measures won't do we have to tell the truth. We have to live the truth. We can't say, oh, there's a new beginning for you, but I don't, I, I don't think you're ready. We can't say there's enough grace for this person, but not for that one. We can't say, I'll be Christian on Sundays, but leave my business out of this. We can't say, I'll be Christian unless it's unpopular or unless somebody objects to something I've said because it offended them, because that's not following Jesus Christ. 
it's an all-in sort of thing. Peter and Andrew got up and walked off and followed Jesus. They took a new beginning. So can you. Because in the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we can all have a new beginning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We've sung together what the church feels. Now let us also say together what the church believes. Let us join together 
in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into heaven. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Um, please be seated. Our generous giving is a witness to God's abundance against a world that believes everything is scarce. These gifts point to and enable the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in our community and beyond. Freely we have been given, freely let us give.
Let us pray. Loving God, we are so grateful that you invite us to come and seek, to experience your presence with us and your invitation to come with you. You abide with us and we with you. We thank you for this gift of community and for the connections that you create and make that strengthen us, our communities, our church. So we pray for the many ways in which we are connected to each other, connections of compassion and caring and pity and love and discernment and wisdom, and courage. We pray for all the political systems that surround us in which we are embedded, for the leaders who come and go, for the wisdom that they show or don't, the discernment that they manifest or disguise, for the courage in which they act for peace and love and justice, the timorousness with which they allow the mob to make all the choices. We pray for them. We pray for our new Congress, newly sworn in and installed, inaugurated for another two years. We pray for the new governor this coming month. We pray for all the leadership that we have chosen to rule over us. Now give us courage and wisdom and a real desire to see them work, that all the things that we had hoped for them might be fulfilled in them. We pray more closely for our family. All families all across this country, families who are suffering through flood, wind, fire. We pray for families who are separated by circumstances of strife and poverty and civil unrest. We pray that you will heal the divisions among all the families of the world. God, you know how we are pulled apart. Show us how to stitch together. We pray for our communities and our country that you would bridge the divides, that you would enable us to work together for the things which bring us closer to your beloved kingdom. We remember especially this week all those who have labored for justice among us, those who have made plain the need that so many feel and the paths that lead to reconciliation. 
We pray for all those who will turn out tomorrow to commemorate Martin Luther King with deeds of love and justice. May they also speak words of power and truth and conviction. And may we all draw together, sorry for what we have caused, encouraged by the idealism we see there, and enabled by your spirit to make steps forward towards justice. We pray, as always, for your church. We pray that in all this truth-telling, the church would be one that tells the truth, that we should be faithful to our witness, to the love and grace of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and his enabling, that he gives us what we need to be prophets in this world, if we will but listen with humility. As members of Christ's body, we offer our prayers for the world. We pray for a world that we see on our video screens everywhere in need. We pray for all who are suffering in body and mind and spirit. We pray for those who are living in or displaced from their homes by violence, hunger, poverty, war, famine. We pray for the sick. We pray for the caregivers, the first responders, the nurses, the doctors, all those who touch our pain with healing. Let us show true gratitude. We pray for the lonely, the imprisoned, the mentally tortured, those who struggle with addictions, those who maintain their recovery. We pray for the abused, the neglected, and the outcast. Lord, make our conscience tender. Open our eyes all around us who lie on street graves, who huddle in corners, who labor at jobs that do not pay enough, who cannot find enough work to meet bills. We pray for all who struggle in this winter as cold returns to sharpen even more their sense of need. We pray for the grieving, for those who have lost dear ones, for those who have heard bad news, for those who face surgeries, treatments, therapies, the many ways in which we try to push our bodies just a little further, a little longer. Lord, touch us with healing. We pray for the angry and the hopeless 
where we can point a way forward, show us that way. If all we can do is be a lightning rod for fury, may it be so. Loving God, we offer these prayers to you, including those that remain unspoken in our hearts and those known only to you in your wisdom. We pray all these in the name of Jesus Christ, your Lamb, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
the paradox of Christian faith that is that it is simultaneously expansive, able to deal with complexities of anything life may send us, and life does give us complexities. But it can deal with them because it is irreducibly simple that God is love and that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.